yesterday, as I mentioned, was the celebration of Epiphany in the global church. Traditionally, Epiphany has celebrated the arrival of the wise men and so marked the end of Christmas season. Historically, the Christmas season was understood to start not on December 1st or the day after Halloween, but to start on December 25th and go until January 6th. After this week, we shift from remembering the birth of the Christ child to remembering when Jesus came among us as a 30-year-old man beginning to preach and teach publicly. So around the world, there have been many celebrations that take advantage of this in-between time, these two weeks between the birth of Christ and when we need to get on with life. For instance, in Mexico, there's a tradition of baking a cake for the Day of the Three Kings. Poland and Belgium have a tradition of children dressing up like the kings and going door to door like a sort of trick-or-treating, singing carols. In the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, the 12 days culminate in Timkat, an ancient celebration that involves large processions, the Ark, the Covenant, and the renewing of baptismal vows. And in parts of Appalachia, there have been long-standing traditions of breaking up Christmas, where, according to a, a local newspaper article that I found, involved house parties for two weeks that included old-time string music and song and dance as people went door-to-door -door each night. And this is all throughout the holiday season of December 25th to January 6th. It wasn't until around the 1850s that a mixture of manufacturing and marketing and Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol that we started to understand the Christmas season as the retail month of December and beyond. These days, in middle-class America particularly, we tend to forget the celebrations of the 12 days of Christmas. We spend the time immediately after Christmas either getting back to work or trying to recover from our food and retail hangover. But there is something to be said for reclaiming an attention to this period between Christmas and January 6th, this period that we have just concluded. There is something to be said for holding in our mind a sense that now is the season we've been waiting for. Now is the time we've been preparing for. Now is the time when we celebrate new life in our midst. Now is the time when we acknowledge those who seek Christ in the world, whether they come from east or west, from near or far, those who come to pay homage to Christ, to show their love and care, whether they are in Mexico or Ethiopia, whether they are in Portugal or Palestine or Appalachia. There are Christians everywhere who celebrate the birth of the Christ child and how this changes everything we know about life. In our scripture passage today, some magi, some wise men from the east show up. We actually know very little about these characters. We don't even know how many there were, and we don't know if they traveled by themselves or with a whole entourage. Time has cloaked these shadowy figures in legends, particular legends about having certain names or personalities or backstories. However, the Gospel of Matthew does not give us any of that. Matthew just gives a simple story about an odd star a scared king, 
and some earnest foreigners who come into town and stir up more than they expected in the politics of the area and in themselves. I'm going to be reading selections from the second chapter of Matthew, not just the verses listed for those who are following. God is still speaking. Let us listen to the word of the Lord found in Matthew chapter 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who's been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for this child, and when you find him, bring me word, so I may also go and pay him homage. And when they had heard the king, they set out. And there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They knelt down and paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I read more about the Epiphany and Twelfth Night traditions around the world, I was struck by how much they focused on acts of hospitality, focused on acts of welcoming people into your home or visiting other people's homes. So until Thursday afternoon this week, I thought this sermon was going to be about being a good host and how hard it is to be a good host particularly when unexpected visitors like the wise men show up, how hard it is to be a good host and to welcome the stranger, the foreigner, into our community, into our home. And while this is all true, on Thursday afternoon, as I reread this passage, I started to realize that the wise men don't teach us how to be good hosts. They teach us how hard it is to be good guests particularly when the Lord of heaven and earth is the one who is welcoming us. It is hard to be a guest, and I think this is particularly true of our American culture today. We are not good at receiving hospitality unless we're paying someone to provide it. In our everyday life, we might find it truly hard to be a guest it is hard to show up at someone's home and not know where the bathroom is or where the glasses are stored in the kitchen. It's hard to let someone else take our coat from us and then to figure out what to say to other people who are gathered. Culturally, we don't have the easy-come, easy-go social habits that people used to have when their lives would bump up against each other every single day and where you had to depend on each other rather than Amazon Prime to survive. 
Statistics show that apart from a round of Christmas parties or a once in a blue moon dinner party, if you are in the middle class, you aren't often a host or a guest in other people's homes. For most of middle class America, homes are closed off from other people other than the nuclear family. Neighborhoods aren't places where neighbors just drop by every day. And so we might find it hard to be a host, but we find it even harder to be guests. And we aren't alone in this. On Thursday afternoon, I realized that the wise men themselves have something to learn about how to be a good guest. They first show up like the proverbial new in-law who asks all the wrong questions, who inadvertently bumbles into the family's unspoken power dynamics. The wise men show up like the person who arrives and wants to tell you all about their perfect calculations for the perfect pot roast when all you want them to do is to shut up and just enjoy the meal. On Thursday afternoon, I realized that the wise men are teaching us how to be good guests, how to be guests when God, the living Lord, the Christ, is the one who is hosting us. Yes, in this scripture, the wise men are intelligent, dedicated, persistent. They believe in their own calculations and their own observations, and they show up ready to pay homage to Jesus the Christ. This is all good. However, they are making a crucial mistake in their calculations. They are thinking that seeking this Messiah is a purely intellectual exercise. They don't seem to consider that Christ might have anything to do with things like complicated politics or even deep emotions. And so the wise men first show up in Jerusalem, the royal city, the place where Herod sits enthroned. And to quote one scholar who described Herod, Herod was known as a moody, cruel, violent man who had an insecurity streak. He was very loyal to Rome, and he would mount large-scale building projects to signal his importance. And it is into this king's city that the wise men show up and start unwisely asking questions like, so where's the real king of the Jews? The one who was just born, the one whose star is rising. The wise men ask these questions probably because they don't believe yet that seeking Christ is anything but an intellectual exercise. For them, finding Christ is about finding the logical conclusion to their careful calculations. They don't consider that this Jesus might have political implications as well. But Herod does. Ironically, Herod gets it right away. Herod gets what's going on here faster than the wise men. Herod hears the wise men's questions and he is terrified. He knows that believing the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the Son of God has been born among us, that this, he knows that this will be a challenge to his reign. Herod knows that this is a threat, a threat to his power, his privilege, his political projects. Herod gets the bigger picture. The wise men don't. Not yet. Not until two more things happen to them. 
First, still not realizing what they've stirred up in Jerusalem, the wise men journey on to Bethlehem and find the baby Jesus. And when they see that the star has stopped, they are overwhelmed, overwhelmed with joy. This Greek word for overwhelmed is a pointed choice by the writer Matthew. This is not a word one uses for rational intellectuals who show up talking about their observations and then who are arriving at a careful conclusion. Overwhelmed is what happens when everything you know has been turned upside down, when you've been punched in the gut, when you're trying to catch your breath by something you've never experienced before, something you never planned on happening. The scholars from the East discover that in seeking Jesus, their calculations will only get them so far. And as they come into the presence of God, they are overwhelmed, stunned, transfixed, tremendously overjoyed. Seeking Christ in the world becomes so much more than just a cerebral exercise. The wise men show up and they walk away realizing that this Jesus changes everything. The second thing that happens to make the wise men see the bigger picture is that they are told in a dream what they've stirred up back in Jerusalem. They are warned not to return to Herod. And so the wise men, who you might imagine in some ways would have felt kind of honored to be invited secretly into the king's presence, they might have had some, you know, hope and excitement about them being allied with such a powerful political person. But after this dream, the wise men forfeit any future political allegiance with this powerful ally. They go against Herod, and they flee from him, going home by another way. The wise men finally see what Herod saw immediately. This Jesus is a big deal, not just intellectually, but emotionally and politically. Claiming that God has come among us as Savior, Messiah, ruler, shepherd, is a big deal. Seeking Christ in the world means that nothing will be the same. The wise men are realizing that this Jesus will change their emotions, their plans, their allegiances, their very lives. In this scripture, these wise men are learning how to be good guests. They are learning that you cannot show up assuming that you know the end of the story, the end of the journey. They are learning that the journey does not end at the manger, but instead it begins there. They are learning that their lives, that their celebration that will overturn them with joy will begin at this Christmas event, not end. The wise men are learning that seeking Christ means preparing to be changed, preparing to be challenged, preparing to be overwhelmed, awed, stunned by an unexplainable joy. The wise men are learning how to feel humility and awe and wonder. They are learning how to be good guests when the Lord of heaven and earth is your host. They are learning how to be good guests when God Almighty is the one who is ushering you into a new way of living, into a new way of being in the world. 
seeking Christ will overwhelm us at some point. Seeking Christ will mean terrifying kings and bewildering scholars and worshiping as if the lowliest of spaces might be the holy habitation of the Lord Most High. Seeking Christ here and now means seeing this world right here, right now, as the space of God's reign. It means seeing the world as the space where God welcomes the most unexpected among us, where God hosts us at a banquet of the most radically gracious hospitality. And this, this changes everything. Today is the day of the Lord's Supper. We will have communion together. Today is the day when, in worship, we use the language of table, host, guest, bread, and cup to remember God coming among us. Communion is one of the two sacraments in the Protestant church, as you might know, and it is a sacrament because here, here's the essence of God's vision for the world. Here at the table, God reminds us that we will all feast one day at the banquet table of heaven and earth, Here we are given a taste of such a day, given a glimpse into the heart of God's radical hospitality. Here at this table, this is where we learn how to be good guests. It is why the officers of our church, the ones we have ordained and installed, are the ones who serve each person in the pew. There is no hierarchy here at this table. And this can be hard for us. We don't like being at the mercy of other people. We struggle to feel beholden to someone else's outpouring, even, or perhaps especially, when that outpouring is the grace from God that we know we do not deserve, and yet, inexplicably, we receive anyway. Here at this table, here in our worship, this is where we learn how to be good guests in this world, Here is where we learn humility and awe and the power of community. Here is is where we remember that something mysterious is happening, something we can't explain. Here is where we discover by the power of the Spirit and the love of Christ that we are welcomed, we are fed, we are redeemed, we are transformed. God's light and love and power are in the world And at this table, in our worship, we are guests, and God is our host, and nothing will ever be the same. Herod knows this. The wise men learn this. The disciples will discover this. We are shown this day after day. God's light and love and power are in the world. Christ is in the world. And this changes everything. Thanks be to the living Lord. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living Lord, fall afresh on us. Amen.